Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. It's a good day to be alive, as all days are. Even when life isn't perfect, it is a good gift that God gives us every day to sustain us and to get us through uh, whatever's going on. We're here to love the Lord together. If it's your first time with us, we're glad you're here. Hope you come back. And the hub right next door, some people would love to meet you at the end of the service. And usually the second Sunday of the month, we have starting point for a new people. And if you're not in a life group, we want you in a life group. And uh, you can mark that on your uh, connection card today, and we'll help you in that. We also have regular times to pe- help people get into groups. It's really important in the life of the church. So uh, we hope you won't be on the fringe, but you want to be in the heartbeat of just God's Word and uh, being with people in God's Word as well. We're here to love the Lord together. He is, uh, he is awfully good to us. Nick, uh, Nicholas Goldsberry is going to preach today. I asked Nick to preach for us. Uh, many of you know Nicholas. He grew up among us, and uh, his life is a testimony of his personal faith in the Lord and his walk with Christ. And uh, um, even though he doesn't have the sight that we have, there's another sense that we ha- he has more sight than any of us. And uh, we are grateful for his life, and it's fitting in our text today in John chapter 9. That's where we are. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, or your devices, look at John chapter 9, verse 1. I want to read there today. Nick is married to Paige, by the way. They're expecting their first baby this year. First of many. First of many, we expect, out of this family. So here we go. Um, as, as he went along, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His, uh, we'll skip down now to 35. A lot happens, and Nick's going to touch on that in our study. Verse 35. Jesus heard they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful to be alive in the Lord today. And I pray that this passage of Scripture will reach our hearts as you use your servant today to bless us. We are thankful for the living Christ. He's the centerpiece of our time together. May he be highly exalted among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve, I'd like to thank you so much for the opportunity to proclaim the word of God for you uh, this morning. And so grateful for the privilege to do so. My grandfather, Bobby Harwood, was one of the godliest men you would have ever met, and he instilled in me a great sense of adventure. Now, as a child, I vividly remember my first and only driving experience in his 1998 Chevy S10 pickup truck. Now, I 
took him for a spin in the schoolyard. He would sit in the passenger seat and gave me full rein to the vehicle. On other occasions, he took me four-wheeling, and we would do donuts and wheelies and laughed until our stomachs hurt the entire time. Now, some of you out there might be wondering, well, come on, Nicholas, did this really happen? Well, my reply is this. Seeing is believing, and there is proof in the pictures. I'd like you to open the Word of God with me to John chapter 9, and during our time together, we're going to be looking at all 41 verses. And in our passage this morning, John introduces us to a man who not only is blind from birth, but is also a beggar. Suddenly, the creator of the heavens and the earth shows up, and as we will discover shortly, this man's life is transformed from the inside out, both physically and spiritually. Let's begin then with the first half of verse 1, as he, that is Jesus, passed by. Where does the story of the blind man take place? Well, John chapter 7 and 8 offer some clues here. Bible scholars believe that Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, close to the temple, and had just finished celebrating one of the Jewish feasts called Tabernacles. Here's some background on what this feast was like. The Feast of Tabernacles was a fall harvest festival, and one of the three feasts Jewish men were were to attend in Jerusalem. It commemorated the wilderness experience of Israel and God's supernatural provision for the nation during that time. Tabernacles was regarded as the most popular of the three pilgrimage feasts. Most of the first century Jews were farmers, and their lives depended on their crops. Their work prevented many farmers from attending the spring festivals of Passover and Pentecost. But once the harvest was over and the crops were stored, they could stop laboring and enjoy themselves for a while. This feast included a seven-day celebration beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month, which is called Tishri, which in our calendars equates to about September to October, followed by an eighth day observed as a Sabbath. The people constructed temporary huts or tabernacles out of leafy branches and placed them on roofs and along their roads and lived in them during the festival. The eighth day was set apart from the seven days of festivities and functioned as a conclusion for the feast to help people make the transition back to normal life. Second half of verse 2, he saw a man blind from birth. The affliction of the man born blind was not a casual illness that suddenly became acute, nor an ailment contracted in youth before or after some years of good health. He was congenitally blind, which rendered his condition hopeless. And the Gospels, a, a notes extremely gifted preacher, Dr. John MacArthur, record more cases of blind people being healed than any other specific malady. 
There's one healing of a deaf mute, that is someone who cannot speak. There is one healing of someone with cerebral palsy. There's one healing of someone with a fever. There are two healings of groups of lepers. There are three dead people raised, but there are five separate accounts of blind people. Moving on to verse 2, the disciples ask our Lord an interesting question. Was this man's blindness due to his sin or those of his parents? Dr. Alistair Begg, a masterful preacher of God's truths, points out that in the Jewish mind, a person could sin actually in the womb. Friends, I have wondered at times if my blindness was somehow a result of a sin that I have committed or perhaps something that my parents have done. Well, take note of Jesus' response here in verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I will have much more to say about this verse here later on, but for now, the works of God involve sharing our faith with others, loving people well, and serving both God and neighbor with a joyful heart. At first glance, verse 4 may seem a little puzzling, but upon closer inspection, however, Jesus' statement is very simple. We can translate it like this. Fellows, we do not have time to debate. Let us work during the day, because when night approaches, there will no longer be an opportunity to do so. Scholars say that night refers to our Savior's imminent death on the cross. Verse 5 is self-explanatory. Jesus came to give light to lives that are in darkness. The miracle itself is found in verses 6 and 7. And I'd like to highlight some aspects for you. First, why would Jesus touch the man's eyes with mud and saliva, of all things? It is best to believe these words at face value. God is God, and he is perfectly capable of revealing himself to people in many different ways. Second, the pool of Siloam, which John tells us here means sense. According to Dr. Kim, each day during a festival, the priests went to the pool of Siloam and filled a golden jar with water. Now, this jar, containing about a gallon of water, was brought to the temple and poured into a silver bowl on the altar as a symbol of the prayers for rain. Third, this man is confronted with a choice. He could either A, take a risk and follow Jesus' instructions as an act of faith, or B, continue to live life as a blind beggar feeling sorry for himself. Thankfully, he chooses the first option, and Jesus rewards him with 20-20 vision. It is interesting to note that John, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, devotes a large section of chapter 9, 26 verses to be exact, discussing the blind man's interactions. And along the way, 
we meet three groups of people. The neighbors, the Pharisees, and the man's parents. First, the neighbors. In verses 8 through 12, it would seem that these people are very confused. Some people suggest that this is the same man who used to be the beggar. Others simply state that the man looks very similar to the beggar. But in the end, this man indicates that he is the one that the onlookers are talking about. Ultimately, the man acknowledges that Jesus healed his blindness with mud on his eyes and washing in Siloam, and now he can see. The next group of people are the Pharisees. These folks were experts in the Jewish faith. They knew the scriptures really well, but added their own laws and commands on top of God's instructions. Verses 13 through 17 offer some key elements that we should pay attention to here. First of all, this miracle occurs on the Sabbath, verse 14. As part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, God teaches his people, the nation of Israel, why the Sabbath is such a special day. Listen carefully to what he says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, the Pharisees could not figure out a reason why the king of kings would heal the blind man of all days on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 23, the Pharisees also questioned the disciples about picking grain on the Sabbath. Listen to verses 27 and 28 of Mark 2. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. It would appear that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath as a demonstration of his power. This should encourage each and every one of us that are here today. With God, all things are possible, and he answers prayers every single day of the year. In verse 15, the Pharisees inquire about the blind man receiving his sight, and the answer is the same one given to the neighbors back in 9-11. In verse 17, the Pharisees ask the man a fascinating question about Jesus. Who do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Dr. Albert Moeller, who is a Bible scholar and an excellent preacher with a brilliant mind, informs us that prophet is the highest title given to a person in the Old Testament. In our day, we can think of the word doctor. It is a term used to designate someone who has earned the highest degree in his or her area of study, 
which is usually a PhD. Let us now briefly touch on the blind man's parents, which comprise verses 19 through 23. As it turns out, both the mother and the father do not open their hearts up to the Jews on purpose. John fills in the gaps for us. I'd like for us to check out verses 22 and 23. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Because of time constraints, let me quickly summarize verses 24 through 34. The blind man, for a second time, is brought back to the Pharisees for questioning. And I will paraphrase his bold response as follows. Look, I have already, you have already heard my story the first time. I do not need to go over it again. I was healed, and this miracle could not have happened without God. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Well, the Pharisees had enough, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. So far, we have covered a lot of ground this morning. Jesus miraculously heals a man who was, bl- who was once blind and now can see. The crowds witnessed this remarkable event firsthand. Dr. Moeller mentions that no one celebrates this true moment in history. Did you catch that? No neighbors, no Pharisees, no parents. On top of all this, the poor man is kicked out of the synagogue for speaking the truth. And as readers of this text, we sympathize with him and think, what a hopeless state of affairs. John 9, 35-38 is my favorite section of this gospel. Here, we have the Savior of the world spotting the man who is probably quite lonely and depressed with a love and a compassion as only the perfect father has for his precious son, Jesus strikes up a conversation. In verse 36, the man does not know how to answer the question about believing in Jesus, which is found in verse 35, because he wants to make sure that Emmanuel, God with us, is a real person. Verses 37 and 38 are astounding. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Finally, we come to the end of this whirlwind chapter. In verses 39 through 41, Jesus warns the Pharisees of a very sobering reality. 
Basically, he says that if this group could see, they would have no sin. But since they do sin, these people are blind. You see, the three groups of people were spiritually blind. They did not take Jesus at his word. We, too, struggle with spiritual blindness. It could be that some portion of Scripture is really difficult to obey. Or perhaps you have a hard time praying for God's will in your life. Anybody been there? I know I have. This account here in John 9 is about much more than a blind man regaining his physical sight. There are numerous spiritual dimensions that we can take away from this chapter. First, God desires all people to be saved. The Bible tells us that God is eager to adopt as many sons and daughters into his family as possible. The great book of Romans penned by the greatest theologian and apostle that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Also, in Acts 2.38, we read these words. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Second, God has a purpose for everything that takes place in your life. What are you going through right now? Some of you may be here this morning and you're thinking, can God really use me after all that I have done to mess with his plan? The answer is a resounding yes. Pray that God would make clear to you his purpose for living each day. Third and finally, God is in the business of transforming lives. Several years ago, I had to come to terms with a question that had been bothering me for quite some time. Why am I blind? As I read John 9 that morning, the words of verse 3 literally jumped off the page, and I heard God speaking to me in that moment. Son, you are blind so that others may see me. What comforting words even on this day. Well, there is a great promise that I want to leave you with this morning. One day, all of us will be completely healed for eternity. For those who place their complete trust in Jesus Christ, we will get to see God face to face. And I'm here to tell you, I will have two fresh eyes given to me by God himself.
Until then, we can only imagine what this glorious destination called heaven will be like. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a passage like this one. For in it, Father, we come across a blind man very similar to my situation. He happened to be blind from birth. And yet, Father, while you have not given me physical sight, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you have endowed in me 2020 spiritual vision. And Father, I want to thank you that for those who desire salvation, the book of Hebrews, Father, makes it very clear that today is the day of salvation. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. So Father, I pray for anyone who may be here who wants to make that commitment. Father, you are eager to adopt them even where they are seated right now. And Father, I pray that many would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior because you are good and your plans far can outdo any of ours on any given day. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.